0: You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Good morning. I'm uh, Pastor Jason. It's a joy to be with you today. And uh, we're going to continue in our series today in, in the series that we've been in looking at the Gospel of Luke. And as Taylor just mentioned in that prayer, we're, also, we're going to be looking at a story about how Jesus heals and how the healing of God is present to us. Not just, it's not just something in the scriptures, but it's also present to us today. This last week, um, so this obviously is, is new, different, and you may be wondering what it's about. It's, it's about everything that we're, we're ho- hopeful that God is going to do. He's going to use some things here in the room today to, to help us out and to speak to us. A couple weeks ago... I was over in the sanctuary at Schweitzer, and I was looking at the stained glass windows, and I noticed something that I had never noticed before. Have you ever been in a spot where you've you finally see something that you've never seen before? And I don't know if I can do this exactly. Um, I don't know where to do it at, but um, this is this is a, a stained glass window reflective of the creation that's over in our sanctuary building, and and there's a lot of different symbols in the midst of that uh, of that window, and I've. Notice, for the first time, a hand and fingers. And I don't know if I can, uh, I'm obviously not tall enough to do this, but it's right above what the sun or moon might be like. Go there. Go back there. Okay. Thank you. Right, oh, let's see. A drumstick. Thank you. Right here, there is a, a hand and, and fingers. You see the hand and the fingers. And I noticed that for the first time, it, present in that window. And I was really impressed at the artist who put that window together because the hand, the finger of God, is a significant indicator of God's presence throughout the story of God's people in the Old Testament. How did God create? One of the ways in which, which the, the history of the Old Testament thinks about God in terms of creation is that God put out his hands, God took his hands and he formed things, right? In the formation of Adam and Eve, he put things into motion, he created through his hands, he delivered the people from slavery in, out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. Through his hands, God took his fingers and he scrawled on the tablets and he gave the law his sense to Moses and to the people. Through his hands, he revealed that he is God and other people are not God. If you want a really fun story about this, go to the prophet Daniel and read about how Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's big and mighty and all-powerful and suddenly out of nowhere appears a hand and it writes on a wall and Nebuchadnezzar goes mad because he realizes and the whole world realizes that he, Nebuchadnezzar, as a human is not God and he's not all-powerful, but there is a God and there is a God who's all-powerful. And the hand of God is something that, that just covers and cares for the people of God throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. The hand and the fingers are really important. Well, Michelangelo picked up on this idea, right? (coughs) The hand of God and how important the hand is. And so this is part of the Sistine Chapel, what's reflected there. And part of what Michelangelo does is he gives us two images, two different images of of hands and fingers. There is God's hand coming in from the, let's see, it's your right, and comes in and it's strong and it's looking out to touch us, connect with us. And then Adam's hand is the hand there on the left, and it's feeble in the sense that it doesn't really know if it wants to connect and touch with God. As the hand or the finger of God was a predominant picture of what God was like in the Old Testament, Jesus becomes the living example of God's power, of God's presence in the New Testament. And everywhere Jesus walks, what people do in terms of how they encounter Jesus, they encounter a power that that they've never seen quite like this before in enfleshed in a human person. When you go back in the, in the story of the Gospel of Luke, you see Jesus, his conception is brought about by a power that's outside of, of human power. God's spirit is at work. When Jesus walks around and he teaches, he teaches in such a way that people take notice and they go, there's no other teacher quite like him. Where does this power come from in the sense of his teaching? When Jesus walks into a room, the, <clears throat> the, the elements in the room change in a certain way. And so when people are brought to Jesus, people who, who don't walk or haven't walked in some time, they, they leave his presence walking. When people who are mad or deranged or out of their mind in some way, they find in the presence of Jesus that they're put back in their right mind. And people begin to wonder about this. And they wonder not in the in, in way that They go, something is really wrong. No, they wonder, how in the world does this happen? They don't necessarily know what the answer is to that. But one thing that they can't get away from is the reality that there is power in this person named Jesus. And they're attracted to him. And power like that is attractive, isn't it? Um, We all seek that kind of connectivity to something that is beyond and above ourselves. How many of you have heard of John of God? Any, Any of you heard of John of God? in here. I just began recently to hear about uh, John of God. He's a Brazilian faith healer. I guess a couple years ago, well actually maybe around the early 2000s, Oprah went down to his compound in Brazil and had, a, had an interesting time connecting with him because John of God supposedly is somebody who is somebody that, that miracles have been happening through or with. Um, but actually John of God has made the news of, of late because there are all kinds of allegations and serious allegations of great impropriety that's taken place with John of God. Um, he's actually done th- things. Some people allege he's, he's like practiced surgery on them without, without ever giving anesthetic to the person who, who he's doing surgery on. It's kind of weird, kind of crazy stuff, but he's been searched out. And some of the allegations are that he's, he sold holy water or water that could heal you, but it's just like, they just get it and they bottle it and they, you know, put a big price on it and sell it. But people have been buying it. They've been eating it up. There's a sense of power that we long for, whether it's the people around Jesus or the people that have heard of John of God. And so it makes some of us wonder. I mean, all of us at some point along the way will come to a place where we seek a power that's larger than ourselves. And yet when you hear a story about somebody like John of God it makes us suspicious. It makes us wonder. It makes us ask some questions. Like, the healing that we see happen in the life of Jesus, does it really happen to this still now? Here's a question. Like, is miraculous healing really real? Does it happen? Or does the kind of healing that we see present within the pages of the New Testament, where we hear about in, in those times, does it happen now or does God want to work through other ways? And when you encounter somebody who's a nut, like I would say John of God is, When he's a nut, doesn't that make you suspicious that God wants to work through nuts? And then there's a question. C.S. Lewis um, said, oftentimes when you encounter something that's really false, it's a good indicator that something that's false has to come from something that's real. And so often along the way, we wonder, how is it? If there is this real power of God that's present in our world, how is it that we can be open to it? How can healing take place in our own life? Well, a couple of things we'd like to just put in front of you today, think about healing, and we'll take a look at a text here in just a second. One of the first things I'd like to suggest to you is that when Jesus walked this earth, people were healed. Not everybody that Jesus came in contact with were healed, but people were healed when they came in contact with him. Secondly, and not only his healing did healing take place during Jesus' time, but healing has continued to take place over the course of history. And wherever Jesus has been preached, people, all kinds of people have, have been healed. They've found the power of God at work in their life. And one of the things that Jesus really looks to, or he looks for us to do, is recognize that when we gather here in this place, we don't just gather with our neighbors, our friends, the people that we like, the people we hang out with. But when we gather in the name of Jesus, Jesus himself is present. And if there's any healing that's going to take place, it's going to be, be because Jesus himself is in our midst. He's here with us, not just with we're here with one another, but he himself is here with us. And so when he's in our presence, when he's in our midst, the power and the healing, the presence of God that he brings is open and available to us. And so what Jesus really looks for, in us, he's wondering at us, what he does is in response to faith. He looks for faith. And he also, you me go ahead and put that next slide up. If there's healing to be done, Jesus can do it. And with him, there's not like a magic formula or something like that that takes place. What Jesus is really after is a sense of condition of faith. And what Jesus often does is he moves us back into relationship. This morning, um, I'm going to take a look at a story that comes out of Luke 8. And it's about Jesus touching and being touched and bringing the power and the healing of God to a couple of women and and to a community. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to open them or or you can read on the screen. Luke writes this. On the other side of the lake, crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds, and a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. "'Who touched me?' Jesus asked." Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. And the whole crowd um, heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, Jesus said to her, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just have faith, and she will be healed. So when they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in except Peter and John and James and the little girl's father and her mother. And the house was filled with people weeping, And wailing, but he said, Stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew that she was dead. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat, and her parents were overwhelmed. But Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. This is a story about two women who are healed. One's an older woman and one's a young girl, but two women who are healed in Jesus' time. Jesus had been in what we would today call the Golan Heights. Luke tells us that he got an invitation to come back to Capernaum, and so he, he did. He went to Capernaum. And there were a number of people who gathered at Capernaum to meet Jesus in the boat and all of the people who were traveling with him because they were friends of Jairus. And Jairus was one of the leaders of their local synagogue. And Jairus's daughter was sick. And so people gathered to meet Jesus, and they were going to accompany Jesus up to Jairus' house so that Jesus could pray and touch Jairus's daughter because people knew that there was something unique around Jesus. Jesus brought this power of God, and they wanted Jesus to bring this power of God to Jairus's daughter who was sick. And as Jesus gets out of the boat, and he begins to go up the road, and there's this big crowd around him. There's somebody who comes into the midst of the crowd who wouldn't normally come into a crowd. And that's a woman whom we never, we never get her name, never get her face. The only thing we know about this woman is that she's had uh, a bleeding issue for 12 years. She hasn't been able to stop bleeding. And in the time of Jesus, in the culture of Jesus, if somebody was, had that kind of issue going on in their life, They would live most of their life in great obscurity because to have blood flowing out of you so that other people could touch it or be touched by it was something that was deemed unclean and unsanitary. And so the best thing for you to do if if you had an open sore was to go to a place where you were essentially in quarantine. But this woman, this woman that we don't know her name, you might call her a lot of different things. She's heard about Jesus too. Just like all the people who are gathered there, ready to embrace Jesus and take him to Jairus' house, this woman, she's interested in this power that Jesus has possessed. For 12 years, she's had a wound, a sore that she's carried in her own body, something that hasn't been right. And she wonders inside of her is there something that Jesus can do about this problem in my life? For 12 years, she sought solutions. She's gone to doctors, she's gone to all kinds of people, but nothing has changed, nothing has shifted, nothing has moved the needle, but she's heard about Jesus, and she wonders. And so unlike Jairus, who brings his issue to Jesus front and center, unlike Jesus, she who has been left in obscurity and has lived her life in obscurity for some time, she comes around somehow in the midst of this crowd somehow she sneaks in and unlike Adam's finger that is sort of feeble as it reaches out to God unlike Adam's finger she has a plan she has a goal it's very sneaky kind of goal right to sneak in to go unnoticed but yet to sneak in and just if she could just touch the hem of his garment because she wonders if I touch the hem of his garment will there be something that happens in my life I don't know if you can see that or if you can imagine it. If you've ever watched somebody come in out of nowhere, if they just sneak in alongside somebody and just reach out and touch them, but that's what she does. And when she does, Luke tells us that Jesus is aware instantly that something has happened. You see that sense of sneakiness, that sense of longing, that sense of, well, some people may call it faith. I think we might even be able to call it despair, right? Because she's at the end of a rope. She doesn't know what else to do. But she knows that there's something unique about him and she's going to seek him out. Jesus recognizes it. There has been a power that has gone out from him and he's like, something has changed. There is an act of somebody who's seeking after what I have, after my life, after this, this healing power. There is somebody around here who's touched me. And everybody's like, man, everybody's touching you, right? That's what Peter's comment is. Jesus, everybody's touching you. How in the world do you think that somebody's touched you? I mean, there's like hundreds of people around. Jesus says, no, somebody touched me. And then she comes forward. Luke tells us that she's really afraid. And so she comes forward and she says, it was me. And she, she tells Jesus her, her condition. And Jesus does something in that moment. He says to her daughter. Do you notice that 're daughter? You see, um, oftentimes when we're sick in our own bodies or we think about what God does or what God might do in terms of healing, we often look for God to do something in our bodies. But Jesus recognizes that for the last 12 years, this woman that now is in front of him has not been connected to other people. And just as his power is going to change elements in her body so that she can live and move in ways that she hasn't been able to for the last 12 years, Jesus knows that she needs to be viewed differently both by her own eyes and by the eyes of the community that she lives in. And so he calls her daughter. Imagine what the town people must have been calling her for 12 years. What would they have called her? Would they have even known her? Would they have seen her? I don't know. But Jesus says, you are a daughter. You are somebody who's been seen by God. You think you've gone through this whole time of your life and it's been lost or it's been, it's been crouched in hidden places. Yet Jesus says, you are somebody who is known by God. You are his daughter. You are his beloved. And you've reached out, just wondering what God might have for you. He has healing for your body, but he doesn't have just healing for your body. He has a sense of inclusion, a place where you belong. You belong among God's people. You belong to God, for he sees you. So he calls this woman daughter. One of the unique gifts, I think, that Jesus has given to us and and is present here is the gift of his church. And I don't mean by his church simply a place where we get to worship or a worshiping congregation, but I mean his church, people who have encountered the words of Jesus when he says son or daughter to somebody else and he gathers us together as a community. This last Thursday night, I was over in, in the other building, and I had come out of a, of a Jobs for Life classroom. And in the hallway were a couple of women, and they were just embraced in a hug. There was one woman uh, hugging another woman in a deep embrace. And one of the women, the woman that was being hugged, she was just crying a little bit. They'd both come out of a Bible study classroom both come out of a place where they had shared some of the hard places where they had been. And the one woman was really a wounded healer. She's been in hard places. The story of her life. And she listened to this other woman talk about her own story. And talk about how she wonders, like, if is there going to be a point in time where there's a a place where she can turn the corner and she can get past some of the things that have kept her down, and held her back. And here's this other woman just embracing her, speaking life into her, and touching her. I looked on that scene, I thought about this text, and I thought about our time together this morning. I'm like, what is the gift of God that God gives to us? The gift of a community of of one another who see the active presence of God in our own lives and we begin to share it with other people who wonder, does God care for me? Does God see me? And in the voice of one, he can call out to the voice of the other. Jesus can, in her own midst, he can say, my daughter, and my son. So Jesus does that with this woman who's had an issue of blood for 12 years. And then <clears throat> the people show up, right? And they're like Jesus we called you to go to Jairus' house and you've been sidetracked. Now Jairus' daughter is dead. Every time I read that story, I think about Monty Python. Maybe a weird thing to think about, but I think about Monty Python where they talk about, you know, when somebody's dead, they're dead. They're really dead. It's just, that's the way it is. When you're dead, you don't come back from the dead. It's just like there's no, there's no point coming to Jairus' house now because Jairus' daughter, she's just dead. He's like, no, it's time to go to Jairus' house. No matter what the skeptics think, and no matter what the people think who are looking for a spectacle, because certainly when somebody died, there was a spectacle of people that gathered at somebody's house. They were the professional mourners, and they were there to mourn, to give voice to grief, and to pick up their paychecks for the week, because they got paid for grieving. If you really grieved well, you got paid extra. That was one of the things that happened in the... In Jesus' time. And Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jairus' house. And the skeptics don't need to come. And those who are given to the spectacle, they don't need to come. Who really needs to go into the house where this little girl has been laid down, who really needs to go into the house, are the people who have a lot of hurt in their hearts. Like this little girl's mom and dad. The people who really need to come into the house are the people who are wondering, like, Can God show up and do something in this moment? And so Jesus, Luke tells us, takes Peter and James and John and Jairus uh, Jairus and his wife, and they go into the house. And in the house, Jesus reaches out and he touches this little girl. He raises her up. He gives her back to her mom and dad. And that day, that evening, that little girl and that family would never be the same. Because they knew in that moment, in that instant, that God had walked into their life. Into the walls of their home and they would never be the same. Because the power of God was on display to them and for them and for their community. As you gather here today, do you think that that kind of power is present to us? Is the power that raised Jairus's daughter, is the power that touched a woman who was bleeding, is it present to us? Is that kind of miraculous healing present to us today? Does God use medicine? Absolutely. Does he use counseling? Absolutely. Does he use the way of the community? Absolutely. But does he use his presence, present to us, to heal us? Several years ago, I'll never forget, um, not the event itself, but something that took place a couple weeks after an event. I was at a church where we had um, services of Christian healing. That's what we called them. We'd have a service of Christian healing, where essentially we just made present the gift and the ministry of prayer to people. Like if somebody had a hurt in their life or if they were looking for some healing in their own body, we said, we recognize that it's, Jesus is the healer. We're not. And the one thing that we can do is we can say to one another and we can pray for one another. We can ask for the Lord's help to heal us, to bring his power present to us. And I was, um, and I've always been, more, more mindfully inclined, medically inclined, and less prayerfully inclined, right? A little bit of a skeptic. But at the same time, I recognize that this ministry of prayer is something that Jesus asks us to take up and to give to one another. And so the night of healing came, and people came forward, and we we prayed for a number of people that night. And a couple of weeks later, one of the persons I prayed for, and I I couldn't even tell you what what the question was, he sought me out, and he said, you're never going to believe it. I said, what? What am I never going to believe? He said, you prayed for me. I said, okay. Pray for a lot of people. Don't remember praying for you, but okay. He said, you prayed and God worked. And I've been dealing with an issue for a long time in my neck and and God worked. Like, okay. Praise be to God because I don't know what I, you know, there's nothing magical that you do as a person. There's nothing magical that we do in terms of prayer, but we just simply say, you know what? There's something we see Jesus doing and we want to just say, Lord, sometimes we're here. We're hurting. We need you. We need your strength. We need your power. We need your presence. We're here. Do what you'd like to do. So does God heal? In that moment in my own life, in my own story, I began to realize that God does heal. He heals because Jesus does show up and he's present to us. Well, how, does, how do we get to that place? How do we open up to that sense of embracing what God wants to do? I think um, in the story of the widow or, or in the story of the woman who was bleeding for 12 years and the story of Jairus' daughter, we see something that's really significant and an example to us. We have to open ourselves up. We have to be open. We have to take our hands, right? Unlike the hand of Adam that Michelangelo showed us, we have to, be, we have, to have hands that are like the woman. And we have to reach out and we have to say, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus wants to do something unique in my life. So this morning, we have this cloth representative of the cloth that Jesus may have worn. And it's a long, um, it's a long sense of cloth here, a long span of cloth. Because we recognize that some of us, we need to take a step of faith. We need to move out from the place where we're at and recognize that, well, we just need to talk to Jesus. We don't know what he may do, but we just may need to reach out to him. And so the act of touching a cloth, the act of saying a prayer, may be the thing that we need to do to say, Jesus, here we are. There's something in our life, there's a place in our life where we could really use your power, your touch, your presence. So if that's you today, we'd like to invite you just to come and if you'd like to grab a hold of the cloth or touch it and pray, we'd like to invite you to do that. There's also some other places, you can put that slide up, Aiden, in the room that we'd we'd think about maybe places where we might go. To not only think about Jesus and talk about Jesus' power of healing, but to experience it. Today, the prayer wall is present to us. Some of you, you think about your own life and you're like, you know what? Things are going really well. But you've got some people in your life whose hearts are breaking. Or you may have some people in your life where they just need the power of God, the healing power of God to show up. And they're really important people to you. And so maybe you'd like to go to the prayer wall and you'd like to write their names, you'd like to write a prayer and you'd like to stick it in the prayer wall. We want to give uh, some space this morning for us to do that where we can take people to God much like a lot of people talk, they brought other people, brought their friends to Jesus. Maybe we need to do that today in the sense of seeking God's power and God's healing. Over on this side of the, the wall, there are those windows. And some of us, and when we look at our own story, we know that God's, God's stories has been linked with ours. And he's brought his healing power to us in unique ways. And we would encourage you, if God's healing power has been present in your life, to take a moment and just write a prayer of thanksgiving. Or maybe you just want to write something about where God has showed up. And then back in the prayer room, there's going to be a couple people back there where if, if you'd like the touch of somebody else to pray with you, to connect with you. Because there's some place in your life where you need God's healing and God's power. There's going to be a couple people in the prayer room. The band is going to come, or I guess Joey's here, and Joey's going to play with us for a little while. And he's just going to give us some space to move about this room So if we need to come to this place because there's something in our life where we just need God to show up and we just need to come and do that, we can come here and do that. And he's going to give us some background space, right? Some space to pray. Because brothers and sisters, when we gather together, it's not just us who's here, but Jesus is here with us. His power is present to us. So if you need Jesus to show up, I invite you that he's here. And you're welcome to take a step of faith. Maybe a step of desperation.